Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. God is a good and wise and providential king who loves his children and desires for them to grow spiritually strong in order to face and endure all adversity excuse me, with joy. And to do so, we need to pray with confidence for wisdom to understand and to accept with contentment God's perfect plan for our lives and for his glory. And that's where we find ourselves in the midst of this chapter 1. Last week, James had wrote about probably the most difficult and consistent trial that many of us will face on this side of eternity. It is a trial that knows no borders and is an equal opportunity offender. That is the trial of temptation. We've come to understand that the command never to blame God for temptation or to doubt His goodness. Rather, we're to understand that God is calling us to accept personal responsibility for our own sin and to fight the evil desires that still find residence within our hearts. Today we now come to the conclusion of James' command to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds that we saw earlier in the chapter, as he writes to warn the Jewish believers about doubting the goodness of God and encourages them with God's redemptive plan for them. With that, let's read that passage in verse 16 of chapter 1 when he writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Father, Just be with us this morning as we open up your word and we seek to understand what you're writing here 2,000 years ago to some children of yours, Lord, that are finding themselves under immense pressure. And Lord, as we look at that, I pray that you give us understanding and discernment as we now follow through 2,000 years later and apply that to our lives as we know your word is true and it's there for us to learn. And I pray that you would encourage us. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, let's put ourselves in the place of these Jewish believers. They must have been struggling with their faith as they faced persecutions and trials in a very hostile environment. Like the disciples, they probably thought that the kingdom itself was near. So when the disciples had come together after Jesus had rose from the dead and before His ascension, they had asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? That's what they were anticipating. That's what they were looking forward to. However, Jesus had responded, It is not for you to know the time or season that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But he's told him, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. However, here we are, 13, 14, 15 years after the ascension of Christ, they still find themselves here in Jerusalem, finally finding themselves dispersed. Not only has Jesus not returned, 
But they found themselves forced by circumstances dispersed from their homeland. As Luke records in Acts chapter 8, when he reported that there arose on that day of Stephen's martyrdom a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. They must have been confused, frustrated, and even fearful, yet they should have remembered Jesus' words to them as he was translated to heaven when he wrote at the end of Matthew, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And he gave them a command to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus had commanded them. And he said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And now they are in a unique position to finally to obey the commands of God, yet not without some very difficult circumstances due to the various trials, persecutions, sufferings, and temptations they now face. I'd like to give you four observations that I think James is writing here to encourage them during this difficult time. And I think as we go through them, we'll see that we can translate those principles and those observations to us this morning. The first observation I find in verse 16, where James gives them a command for discernment. And you and I need discernment just as much as they did when he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now he's, he's exhorting them as brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, you may be away from our family. You may be away from Jerusalem. You may be away from the church where you found Christ. But yet, let me tell you, wherever you are, you are my brother and sister in Christ. You know what? We need to understand that. I don't know how many of you have been following the news of the different persecutions that Christians are facing, uh, whether there's some here in the United States, the two brothers that were going to have a TV show persecuted for their faith. We see the, the woman in Sudan, I don't know if any of you have followed that, the lady in Sudan that is accused and is going to be hung after she gives birth to her child because she converted to Christianity. We must remember that they are our brothers and sisters no matter what the borders say, no matter what race they may be from, what creed they may be coming from. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says here, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. James writes this important command and warning because he knows that Satan works to cast doubt about the goodness of God, especially during times of trials. You can imagine them leaving everything behind, finding themselves in a country that is hostile not only to their religion, but even to their race as Jews. And you can almost mean, mean them saying, how can God be good? Why would a good God throw me away from everything else and face persecution? Maybe you yourself have asked that same question. How could a good God do this to me? How could He take that person away from me? How could He limit my income? Why would He put me in this type of situation? If we're honest, we're all human. We do that even in the best of times. We question God's goodness, do we not? How much more so during difficult times? But He understands that that's what Satan works to do. He seeks to cast doubt on the goodness of God. 
And it's imperative that you and I as Christian believers, that we not think wrongly about our situation, about our circumstances, about what's going on in our lives when we're facing different trials. And your trials may be different than mine, your temptations may be different than mine, that we need to think with discernment, even if it includes our status in life of where we're born and our economic and our social status. We need to use wisdom in discerning God's plan for our life wherever we are. And let me tell you, as children of God, God has a wonderful plan for your life. It may not include rose bushes and all the wonderful, nice things that many others will tell you. It may include suffering and trials and persecution and even death. But God does have a plan. But you and I are not to blame God for our sin. And not to blame God for all things that happen but ourselves. You see, as we come here, the focus of James' command and warning is on our personal responsibility when he talks about temptation. And when he talks about our falling into that. So James gives them a command for discernment. In verse 17, the other observation, the second observation that I make, is how James reiterates the nature and character of God. And you and I need to do that just as they needed. They needed to understand who God was. Because the Satan casts that doubt and the, the fog of our circumstances come in and blinds us. We need to be reminded of the nature and character of our God. And he says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow, due to change. Every good gift refers to the act of giving, and every perfect gift refers to the gift given. Since God is a good, wise, providential king, as we've learned throughout this time, every gift that he gives and the very act of giving is good and perfect. And yes, that even includes the suffering and the trials, for it reigns in the just and the unjust, all things come from God. You might recall what Jesus had said in Matthew 7 concerning the generosity and goodness of God the Father. And speaking to the disciples, he says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will you give him a stone? No. We as fathers want to give our best to our children. We want them to do better than we did. Or if he asks for fish, will you give him a serpent? Of course not. That would be ludicrous. But he goes on to say, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Let me ask you, when you see the things that are given to you, no matter what they are, do you see them as good gifts by a good, wise king? James refers to God as the Father of lights, which is an ancient Jewish phrase pointing to God's creative act in making the sun and the moon and the stars. Though unlike the lights of the heavens created to change in order to mark the times and the seasons that we read about earlier in Genesis, God is unchanging as the prophet says in Malachi as he gives testimony. For he says, for I the Lord do not change. And you and I need to understand it. We need to be reminded of what type of God we have the nature and character of a God, the gifts that He gives. Dustin read earlier in our scripture reading of God's great mercy, and that is a great lamentation. 
At first you read it and you say, oh my goodness, listen to his cry. Listen to his groaning and it's such despair. How in the world is that ever in Scripture? But yet you see then Jeremiah's prayer in the midst of that lamentation and how he points eventually to his hope of a great God. Great God's great mercy, his compassion and his faithfulness. It says they're renewed each morning and that God never changes. The God that was good and perfect is the God who is good and perfect today. James needs to remind the Jewish Christians that God does not tempt us to do evil or bring trials to maliciously hurt His children. No. Rather, He is the giver of all that is good and perfect. And so for the Jewish believers, they needed to understand that their dispersion, that the persecution that, 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 that prompted them to leave Jerusalem, to leave all that behind, all that they was entailed in their new life is, was a good and a perfect gift. Let me tell you, that's hard to understand. If I can give you a personal one, you've heard this before. As many as you know, my father was not a Christian. My mother accepted Christ years after they were married and we were in elementary school. And we went to church for years and my dad would come every once in a while. Eventually he just, I just don't want to have anything to do it. He asked the church not to pray and he's very similar to the story you told me, Ima. For 30 years we prayed for my dad and to many of you I've given you the story that I just gave up praying because I just figured that's it. But to my shame, 30 years later, 2001, in October, September, October, my dad came to know the Lord. And I was so excited, finally, I have a Christian dad. I didn't grow up with a Christian dad. And I grew up with a dad who wasn't antagonistic to, to the things of the faith. He, he sent us to a Christian school. He encouraged us to go to church. So he wasn't antagonistic, but yet I never grew up with a Christian dad. And so I was excited for my children and for myself to, to now share that type of life. But as you know, it was a year or two after that that Alzheimer's came to him and eventually robbed him of all of that. And I had to think many times, God, you never gave me a Christian father. Why? And once he did, why, why did you take the very essence of him away? How is that a good God? And then the following year, just when we're dealing with the death of my father, my brother, who's 45, five children, lovely wife, an international ministry, after 15 years of getting his life right, he was an addict, came back to the Lord, found himself on the way to the airport, didn't get two blocks from home before he had a massive heart attack and died in the car. After being in the hospital two days before and then dismissed him saying he just had acid reflux. They missed it. 80%, 90% heart blocked and they missed it. And so I remember going to the funeral, and we, his funeral was so large that we had to actually rent, like the Honda Center, we have that in Rock. We had to rent at a venue like that to get everyone in there. The mayor was there, and state senators were there, and everyone's talking about him. And 15 years, he created this great ministry. And I'm sitting there with my mom, who's still dealing with the loss of her husband, now dealing with the death of her son. And then I see his widow and five little children, who at that time were well under... 13 years of age, 14 years of age, maybe the oldest. How is that good? What good do we receive from that? What good can we take from that? 
I'm thinking there's other people who haven't done as much as they have. Why don't you take them? And it was a struggle. But yet in the end, we must join with Scripture that says God is a good, wise, sovereign king. You know what I'm saying because you've probably experienced the very same thing that I have. Maybe different levels. I don't understand it all. I, I, I could not tell what the good and perfect gift is, but I know that it is. And like the Jewish believers, and like me, we all need to be reminded of the nature and the character of our God. Amen? And he's the Father of lights. He's unchanging. And His ways are perfect. And His ways are wiser. And so there's many times we may not fully understand, but we must come to trust with faith and be satisfied with His decisions and with the ways that we live, no matter what trials, what suffering. And some of you have had much more suffering and trials than I'll ever endure through this life. God says, this is my gift for you. Receive it with joy, for it brings steadfastness. And it leads to maturity. And that reminds us of that great old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness, the hymnist wrote, O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not, Thy compassions they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever will be. Do you believe in a God like that? Maybe today you need to be reminded. Third observation is one where James introduces the importance of the word, the word of truth. For he says in verse 18, the first part, he says, Of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth. You and I are birthed through the word of God, not by our own doing, but through his mercy and grace, by the will of God, speaking of our new birth, of our regeneration of our new heart. We spilt much of that these last few years. You may remember that Paul tells us in Ephesians that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. Very much like this song says, Oh how he loves us. Not when I was lovable, not when I was approachable, but when I was rebellious in my sin-saturated state, God says, I love you and reaches out in all my filth and grabs me and hugs me and cleans me and makes me new. All by the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, again, he says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through what? The living and abiding word of God. Amen? For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains, what? Forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. What was the good news that was preached to you? Believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, you want to finish it for me? Shall be saved. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 
Paul writes, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you had heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God revealed to us, which is at work in you believers. James has to introduce and remind them of the importance of the word of God, where we as his children, God has revealed to us his plan. The importance of God's word is going to continue in the rest of the chapter. So he introduces the importance of this word. We have been brought forth by the word of God. Spoken, just as he spoke to Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. He did the same. Dustin came forth. Matthew, come forth. Tony, come forth. And we obey and we come and he makes us new. So James gives a command for discernment. We need that. He reiterates the character and the nature of God, for we must be reminded, we must hold on to that. We must also understand the importance of God's word. It's not of our own doing, but of the will of God and through his word that he has made us alive. And there's hope and there's encouragement and there's strength in that. Then I'd like to reel the fourth observation as James reveals God's plan. We need to be reminded of this in verse 18. He says that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. In other words, James is trying to remind them suffering, trials, persecution, temptations, they all have a purpose in God's redemptive plan. We must understand that you and I are in the center of that redemptive plan. We see in the first one in John chapter 1 that we are children of God. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So first we need to understand God's redemptive plan. We are children of God. And because we are children of God, we see that in the next verse, 2 Peter chapter 1, it says we have been given divine power. He says his divine power, speaking of God, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has empowered each and us, each and every one of us, the ability to please God through faith. He has given us the strength to do so. Not that you and I are divine in our nature, but He's imparted to us that power to do so. And then we see that we are created in the redemptive plan. We are created for good works. As Ephesians 2.10 as he finishes up that great soliloquy on grace and how we were saved, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God's redemptive plan is to make us children of God with divine power so that we can do the works that God has prepared us to do. And even during the suffering and trials and temptations, and as Satan tempts or tries to cast doubt on our salvation, when he tries to cast doubt on God's goodness, and that fog begins to come in and we don't see clearly, we must hold on to that word of truth, recognizing that we are not far from God. God has not abandoned us, abandoned us or left us. But God still has a plan. As he says in Philippians, hold on to this in verse 6, chapter 1. 
that we are to be confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in us will complete it on that day that he comes. Jewish believers needed to be reminded that, yes, they were dispersed. They were cast out from Jerusalem, their home. They had left the church family, but God still had a plan for them. Even when they struggled with persecution, when they struggled with bigotry, when they struggled with economics, when they struggled with temptation, when they struggled with their status of life, they were sent to be the salt and light of the world. Persecution was just the way in Jerusalem to disperse them in order to complete God's plan. They need to recognize that they were children of God. They were given divine power, created for good works. When he says that they would be a kind of first fruit, he's using an Old Testament word there. It was a command to give to the Lord the first of the best of every crop, to be the first fruits, the first kind of every animal. We too are the first of a kind. And we need to realize that God has created us to do so. And we need to be reminded of it, for that's our hope. And that's what you and I find ourselves struggling ourselves 2,000 years past those Jewish believers. We too forget the goodness of God. We too need discernment as doubt is cast into our mind. We need to understand the nature and the character of God. We need to remind us that we're not brought forth of our own will, but by the word of God for a purpose. Let me give you a summary here as we look at these portions of scriptures. What we see is that God does not tempt anyone to evil, or nor does he seek to bring in trials and sufferings and persecutions and all the other testings of life in order to maliciously harm us. Rather, God has delivered his children from evil, and he's given us a command to do what he's called us to do. Let me ask you this, and this is where I'd like for you to just close your Bibles, because I need you to think about this as you bring your attention up to here as we come close to an end here. I've got three questions for you. And I want you to ask yourselves these questions. I don't want you just to put them off and say, well, I don't want to deal with them, or this isn't me. I truly want you to ask in the prayer of the Holy Spirit in this time of reflection. In what ways do you struggle with doubting the goodness of God? What is going on in your life right now where you doubt the goodness of God? What circumstances today in your life are causing you to doubt God's love for you? In what ways are you ready to abandon all hope and faith? Let me ask you this. Are you about ready to give up on following God? Because life, circumstances, the faith has become too difficult and too trying. Are you there today? Let me give you hope. God says that he'll be with us every step. These trials were to count it all joy, for they have a purpose in our life. To build within us a steadfastness, to build within us a strength, a maturity that we may come closer to God. You and I are called to obey the commandments of God. And if you are facing or fighting any of those three questions, then you will not be able to do what God has asked you to do. We are called to obey the commandments of God, and this includes seeking first the kingdom of God by reaching up, focusing on God, worshiping in our lives, recognizing 
who He is by reaching in, life sharing with others, and becoming part of a fellowship, and learning to grow with each other as we disciple each other and allow ourselves to grow in maturity. It's also called us to reach out by loving others, serving others with love, meeting their needs, and most importantly, is by sharing our faith. You see, if you're doubting the goodness of God, if you're struggling with whether or not God loves you, if you're here today and you're so exhausted and your faith is so weak that you're not quite sure if you can continue to follow after God, then you will never be able to do what God has intended for you to do. So you must be strengthened. That's what James is writing for. He's exhorting. And I want to encourage you today, if you're facing some difficulties, if you find yourself being exhausted and your spirit finding itself weak, and you find yourself falling away, then fall before Him. And as Jeremiah says, I trust in a God whose mercies are renewed every morning. Find hope and strength in the Christian believer that's with you today. For whatever you've gone through, many others have gone through also. I want to leave you with a warning and encouragement. The warning is found there in 2 Timothy 3.12, where he says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That persecution will face many different forms, not always death, not always a physical persecution. The persecution may be ridicule. It may be social ostracization. It may find itself in finding yourself financially and socially not where everyone else is. But persecution will come for all who desire to live godly. But yet the encouragement I see in 2 Peter 2.6, where Peter writes, the Lord knows how to what? Yeah, let's read that together. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. doesn't mean He takes it away, but He means He provides that way of escape. He strengthens us for it. Let me close with this. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I'm just going to ask you just for heads bowed and maybe a time of reflection. Would you pray and ask, how does God want me to respond this morning? How is the Holy Spirit? In what ways can I respond positively to the Word of God this morning? Would you take a moment and do so? Father, you are a good God. And we need to be reminded of that daily. For Satan seeks to cast doubt on your goodness. And Father, there is probably many of us today that are struggling with your goodness. We're struggling with your love for us. We're struggling in continuing the faith. This fog of circumstance in my life is so difficult, I cannot see through it. It is so thick, I do not even see the light. But Father, in the midst of our blindness... Send your Holy Spirit that he may empower us to see your goodness, to trust where we cannot see, and continually follow your word. Strengthen us for this battle. Strengthen us.
for what you've called us to do. And let us remind you how great your faithfulness is. For we need that each and every moment in life. We pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.